The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. A quote I heard this week says this, When you truly care about something or someone, you will make an effort, not an excuse. When you truly care about something or someone, you will make an effort, not make an excuse. But when we don't truly care about something or someone, what happens? Watch the abundance of bad excuses start to fly out of our mouths. Some examples. A guy shows up two hours late for his shift and says this, you know what? I was Q-tipping my ears last night and I went too far into my left ear and my alarm was on my left side of my head in the morning and I, I didn't hear it until two hours late. Or a student fails to turn in their homework assignment and they said, you know what? I lost my homework fighting a kid who said you weren't the best teacher ever. Or a woman who's pulled over going 60 in a 35 mile an hour zone. And she says, of course I was going too fast. I was trying to get the snow off of my windshield so I could see where I was going. (laughs) What do you notice about each of these excuses? They're evidences of not really truly caring about something or someone. When someone truly cares about someone or something, they will make an effort not make an excuse. And as a pastor for 17 years, I sometimes feel like the police officer standing next to the car when I ask, ma'am, what keeps you from going to church on Sunday morning? There are three main excuses that are given. Number one, I've got better things to do with my time. Number two, The church is full of judgmental hypocrites. And number three, you know what? Church is just not relevant to me and my life right now. These excuses seem a little bit more legitimate than the Q-tip, right? So how might we respond to these seemingly legitimate excuses? What reason might we give for someone to be in church on a Sunday morning? An officer gives a reason for the ticket they issue saying safety of the driver and safety of others. But thankfully, I as a pastor and we as a church have Psalm 122 to help us. A reading from the book of Psalms. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, going up to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. 
For my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good Jerusalem. God, we thank you for your word. Story of your grace. Today, Psalm 122 gives us three reasons to want to worship. Three direct responses to the common excuses most given in our culture that people avoid stepping foot through the doors of a church. And my hope is that this psalm will not only equip us to challenge the excuses of our neighbors, our friends, our family members who are not here But that this psalm would also help us to remind one another why we are here. Get at our want to. Get at our desire for worship. Our need for worship. And the first excuse that people give is, I've got better things to do with my time. And the first reason that Psalm 122 gives is this. There's no better place to be than where God is. There is no better place to be than where God is. What is the psalmist's first response to the invitation to go and worship somewhere? Look at verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Gladness. How many of you feel glad to be here? Some cinnamon, cinnamon, cinnamons, some synonyms to this word, to gladness, is cheered up, made merry, find pleasure. That's what happens in the house of the Lord. Notice he doesn't say, I was really happy, and then they said to me, let's go worship. That's not what he says. No, he was made merry. He was made glad. Like alcohol or drugs can make a person feel a high or a sense of peace. Worship to the psalmist is a way to be cheered up, to be made glad. Why? Because God is there. And when he's there, that makes us glad. There's an adage that says there are two times in which to worship. You've heard this maybe? Two times in which we need to worship. First, when we feel like it, and second, when we don't. The psalmist isn't saying he always feels like going to worship. He's instead being reminded by others to go. Others who are saying to him, we're going. I've lost count how many times my parents had to say, we're going this morning. Or us as parents have said, kids, we're going. We go when we feel like it and especially when we don't. Because God is there. So where are we going? To the house of the Lord. To the place where God is. That is what's cheering the psalmist up. To be where God is. But he's not doing it on his own. He's not having his own personal quiet time with the Lord. No, he's going with others. Why is that important? To be with others. Because where God's people are is where God is also. We are called the body of Christ because where the body is, the head, Jesus, is also. 
And notice what happens to the psalmist once he arrives near to the home of God in verse 2. He says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. That phrase is filled with all kinds of expectation of what's going to happen here. It's like, we are on the precipice. We are at the beginning of this place. What's going to happen? Jerusalem, for the Jew, was the place where the most awesome name and presence of Yahweh lived. Jerusalem was the place where God was pleased to dwell. And guess what? We're right here. The psalmist couldn't wait to be where God was. It's like my son, Colson, standing at the entrance gates of Six Flags. You should see him. I mean, he's just like bouncing up and down. He's pointing, Dad, look over there, Goliath, Goliath, it's going. Mom, there's the new ride. Do you see it? Do you see it? It's running, it's running. When we step out of bed on a Sunday morning, <laughs> when we step into our cars on a Sunday morning and into this building, do we have a Colson-like expectation of what God's going to say? Why not? Why not? Because we fall into the trap of believing lesser things are greater than God. Lesser things like feelings. If we don't feel God, then he must not be there and therefore I don't need to go. Lesser things like entertainment and distraction, which gives us addictive doses of excitement, but it doesn't last. Lesser things like sleep, which actually keeps us from experiencing the world and everything in it. The pandemic has done a lot of really good things in the church and in the world. And one of those things has been burnout on entertainment and social media. Ask anyone from New York City who was on lockdown. They were on lockdown hard in New York. Ask anyone there and they will tell you Netflix just did not deliver on its promise to fill them up and give them joy. The expression, find your winter was used to describe folks who during the winter in New York were just hooking up with anyone who could keep them company a little. Someone to keep them warm. Find your winter. But as soon as summer came, they were on to someone else. There was this hunger for joy that just wasn't met in social media, in entertainment, or in a person. Because there's nothing more enjoyable than being where God is. Set your expectations high on Sunday. Today, the one who made all things, including you, wants to meet with you, wants to speak with you, wants to remind you how much you are loved. Today, also, you want to be reminded, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I have people around me who reflect God's love as well, who love me, not because I'm lovely. <laughs> we don't have to come glad, but being here makes us glad because Christ is here. And so is his body. Some questions for us to consider with this first point. Who are the people around me that are saying to me, let's go and meet with God? Thank them. Thank them. Ask them, too, to ask you, where are you when you're not here? 
We need more of them to drown out the world's reminder that something better is out there. No, there's no better place to be than here. Another question, what about God for you is better than what the world offers? Are you looking for entertainment juice or are you looking for lasting joy? Because the video game ends. God never does. The Disney Plus new Loki series is fun. But Loki, nor Disney, nor Netflix cares at all about you. Only God and the people of God care about you. And are you believing, third question, are you believing your time is yours? Let me remind you, friends, your days are numbered. Time is not something you made. It's something God made. It's something he gifted to you. And at the end of your life, it's something God will ask. What did you do with the time I gave you? Like a currency, did you spend it on yourself? Or did you spend it with and on him? Corporate worship is the place we come to reorient us in how we spend the time God gifts us for the six other days of the week. There's no place better friends, than being where God is. Second excuse that we give is that the church is full of judgmental hypocrites. And the second reason that Psalm 122 gives us is there's no worse people better to know God's grace. Psalmist in verses three to five moves from being glad to going to worship to looking around at what he finds within Jerusalem, within the walls of worship. Look how he describes the place where God dwells in verses three to five, a city that is bound firmly together. Verse three, a city that is filled with tribes. Verse four, a city where people are giving thanks to the Lord in the name of the Lord. Verse five. And a city where there are thrones of judgment set up, where the king is making decrees. So what does the psalmist see here as they look in this place of worship? The first thing they see is the love of God displayed. Displayed in the diversity and the unity that's going on in this place. There's people who are all different, who have different stories, different sin struggles, different Genders, different gifts, different ages, different backgrounds, all under one roof, all saints. God doesn't require us all to look the same. They're all unique in different ways, these tribes. Nor does God's love require us to clean up our act before we come. If you know Israel's history and the history of the 12 tribes, (laughs) there's no innocent tribe. They're all a mess. But what else is found there? The love of God displayed, but also the love of God expressed. You see, thanksgiving and telling. We hear in corporate worship from the king this morning. We sit in the Lord's throne room this morning and have him speak to us. That's what a throne is for, to make declarations. And how do we as a people respond to the king's declaration with thanksgiving? One of the ways the Lord does this is by showing us our sin and convicting us of our sin so that we might repent. When someone loves you and they see a boogie on your nose, right? And they say, 
Jim, Jim, you've got a, you got something on your nose. They point it out to you. How do you respond when that person points that out to you? Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for telling me. Thank you. Thanksgiving comes when the king speaks to us and tells us what's wrong with us. And we say, thank you. Thanksgiving comes that we are even allowed into his throne room. The excuse is partly right that's given, that God's children are judgmental hypocrites. We are. The history of God's tribes, his children, the church is a raw and unfiltered expose of unfaithfulness, of hypocrisy, of judgmentalism. That's true. But who better to give thanks for God's forgiveness and grace than those who know how undeserving we are of it? Cheer up, church. I say this all the time. You are worse off than you think. And we give thanks that in spite of our brokenness, Jesus saved us. He preserved us. He forgave us. There is no one loved more than God's people. God's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad people. They are loved. Whatever you're guilty of, it doesn't disqualify you to come to God. Because as the scripture says, we are bound firmly together by the decree of God, which says, not guilty, y'all. Because guilty was put upon Christ. I've told you, many of you, that the hardest and yet probably most beautiful thing about pastoring this particular worshiping body of Christ is the all of all saints. God has given us diversity in this body. It would be easy just to faction up into tribes. The cool kids here, bookworms here, shy here, loud here. But the God of integrity makes certain that our name, all saints, is an accurate reflection of him. All. Not better than some saints. Not more reformed than other saints. Not less sinner saints. We give thanks together each week that our God welcomes all sinners. And declares us in our faith in Christ, all saints couple of questions we need to consider in light of this. How do you remain in your tribe on Sunday? Because corporate worship is not a place for tribes. This is a place of unity and diversity. Reach out a palm of peace to the west sider or to the outsider or to the oddball or to the rod and Todd or to the obvious sinner or to the pretender, or to the judgmental, or to the often judged by people. Reach out a palm of peace to them. The other question is, are you here complaining, comparing, or are you here calling out thanks? The people of God, we become grumblers when we think what we have is ours and what we have is deserved. Thanksgiving doesn't come from entitlement. Thanksgiving doesn't come from possessiveness. It comes from humility. Sunday worship is a place and time where we give thanks to the name of the Lord for being merciful and gracious to all of us, for delivering all of us from our sin, for delivering even you, yes, you, from your sin, and ask him to make a decree in helping you to live in response to his love. Sunday morning worship is a time where all of our life is trained in becoming a thank you to God. 
So there's no better place to be than where God is. Second, there's no worse people better to know God's grace. And the final excuse is that church is just not relevant to me in my life. I'll give you the final reason. There's no true peace apart from Christ. The psalmist begins at the door to the home of God. The psalmist walks around, walks in and sees what's, what he sees in the home of God. And now the psalmist sees the heart of God in verses 6 to 9. And what word probably stands out to you as you scan over verses 6 to 9? What word do you see there? Peace. Shalom. The name Jerusalem, the great capital city of the people of God, is Yara Shalem. Yara Shalem. Pillar of peace. Place of peace. Peace among God and his people. Nothing could be more relevant to our culture than this very thing. A need for peace. A need for shalom. A need for all to be made right in our world. We want justice. We want things as they should be. And there's no more relevant pursuit than people for people than attaining peace. But we do this apart from Christ. We find peace in politics. We find peace in building a bigger house. We find peace in pursuing a bigger paycheck. We find peace in raising neat and tidy kids. We find peace in having enough retirement savings. But talk to the richest, best behaved Florida resident. Do they have peace? They still haven't found what they're looking for. Church is not relevant to someone who wants their life with the self at the center. And as long as peace is pursued with me at the center, it will never be found. Because that is not God's version of shalom. That's not God's version of peace. Friends, peace, God's peace happens when all created things, like a giant million puzzle pieces, are interdependent upon one another. That is shalom. There's no one person in that picture. It's a bunch of people and a bunch of things and all of things actually being interconnected and interdependent. That is shalom. An illustration of shalom that Tim Keller describes says, you know, if I took a thousand threads of string and I threw it on that table, that wouldn't be a fabric, would it? It'd just be a lot of threads lying on top of each other. Threads become a fabric when each one has been woven over and under and around and through each other. The more interdependent they are, the more beautiful that fabric is. The more interwoven they are, the stronger and the warmer they are, like a thread count. God made the world with billions and billions of entities, but he didn't make them to just be a pile of strings all laying on top of each other. No, he made them to be a beautiful, harmonious, knitted, webbed, interdependent relationship with one another. That's shalom. 
Man's sin and man's pride has not only torn apart the fabric of shalom, it just keeps pulling at all of the strings. And the only way that this peace and all these strings can fit together again is through the work of a person who came to a place to bring peace. Who came within the walls of Jerusalem, innocent. To be declared by the religious as guilty. The one who was cast out of Jerusalem to be punished as the people declared, let his blood be on us and our children. The one who would experience war between God and man on the cross as he was despised and rejected. And the one who would rise again on the third day declaring, peace has come from heaven's throne because heaven's king has woven his people back together. Peace, shalom, all being made right with the world came through the one who came into Jerusalem, the Son of God, who, as verse 9 in this psalm says, sought God's good in bringing peace to the place where God and his people live, creating a new Jerusalem, a new pillar of peace. Jesus is our person of peace and his cross is our place to find that peace. We come to worship on Sunday mornings to remember the only rest, the only peace is to find your place in a person, in Christ, in him as our new Jerusalem. So that as we are in him, we're safe from God's wrath. We're protected from death. We're given power to refuse temptation. We're cleansed from our sin. We've got a place in his heavenly walls. And we live and reign with him one body, the body of Christ, forever and ever. He is the place of peace. He is the person of peace. A couple final questions I want you to consider. When you pray for peace, friends, are you praying for interdependence? Or are you praying that your life would be free of problems? What is the peace that you're praying for? Interdependence? Make me more interdependent with each other and with you. Is that what you're praying for with peace? Or you're saying, no more problems. I want today to be hassle-free. That's not the shalom that God offers. Peace will not be found at St. Mary's of the Bedsprings. Peace will not be found at the all-weekend sports tournament. Peace will not be found in getting more accomplished on Sunday because you didn't have time for it Monday through Saturday. It will be found here in the corporate gathering of Christ's body with him as the head. And in which area of life are you feeling rather insecure today? Because that's probably a sign of a false peace. That's probably the sign of a peace that you're trying to find apart from Christ. That's probably the sign of an idol in your heart. A good thing that has become a God thing, a false source of peace. Let the Lord take it out as the center and give you him instead. Maybe he can weave that thing that you're looking for in the fabric, but put him instead at the center. I'll close with this. This past week, my family and I, we were down visiting our in-laws down in Indiana. And I had the privilege as I was working down there, they were, they were having fun. I was working. I was in a local library. And I'd walk home every day from the library. 
And on one day's walk home, I came upon the downtown, downtown Huntington, just a small town. And I came, it's got a ton of churches in this town, ton of churches. But I came upon this one beautifully constructed stone church. And I love beautifully constructed churches. Big stained glass windows, tall stone bell steeple, big wooden doors. Here's the deal. As I came upon it, the doors were completely boarded up with plywood. The windows were all broken up. Some of them didn't even have windows. Most of the stained glass was gone. The stone steps were just weed covered. And on the corner of the building was an inscription with a bunch of people's names, the pastor, the architect, the founders of the church. Would they have had any idea that in a hundred years, this was what would become of their church? What happened? What happened to this place? As I stood there sadly looking at it, here's my guess. That Christ's peace was slowly ushered out of the building. People started just seeking, seeking their own good, their own agendas. Infighting over who had the better idea. Maybe pursuits to be the better church than the one next door. Or maybe pursuits in staying home and watching the game being better. Or maybe the better of not upsetting the apple cart by correcting the pastor's bootstrap yourself to a better life teaching. Or maybe peace found through trying to be a better person on your own instead of peace found in the person and the place of Jesus. Friends, I pray that all saints would be around in a hundred years when we're all dead and gone. But the only way that's going to happen is if Christ remains the best place, the best person, and the best peace to make your home with God. He is the best reason to want to worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this place of peace. Thank you for this being the best place, the place where we can be in Christ and experience his love his care, his faithfulness, his joy over us, where we can also be surrounded in a body and not be alone, that we're not withering on our own and dying, but we have people around us saying, let us go and worship. Thank you for your word, which declares to us our sin, which declares to us our need for a savior, and which declares to us that peace has come through this new Jerusalem, this new pillar of peace, Jesus Christ himself. Thank you, Father, for the peace that comes through him. May it always be the peace we celebrate every Sunday morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.